Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast, produced by Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. I am Bob, and I'm exactly one half of the Bob and Brad team. Um, the better half, if you ask me. Uh, today, we have a, a real special guest. Um, he is a board-certified neurosurgeon. Yes, and he's with. Uh, well, Inspired Spine is the best way to get a hold of him. Uh, InspiredSpine.com. And he does a new procedure that, fairly new, and he's done a lot of these as to as a very non-invasive surgery. So he holds both an MD and a PhD, and he was one of the first 30 surgeons in the United States to perform this groundbreaking surgery. So we'll be talking about all that. We'll be talking about what patients would benefit from this and, and whether or not you could would qualify uh, for this type of surgery. Dr. Bossi, thank you so much for coming on our program today. My pleasure. We got a lot of subjects to talk about today, a lot of things to go over. So I thought we'd go ahead and get started. Um, could you first give me a summary of your background? I think what people would love to hear uh, your schooling and a little bit of your experience? Well, I'm trained as a physician in three continents, including in Iran, where I'm born, but as well, I did my med school and uh, a dissertation, a PhD in computer science in Germany. And then I moved to California. I did the research for um, spine surgery and use of computers in the spine surgery mm. in Stanford, California. Then I went to Dartmouth College. I did a one year of uh, internship in um, general surgery. Then I applied and I started um, a neurosurgery residency in Galveston, Texas in uh, University of Texas Medical Branch and practically rotated in all the major hospitals in Houston. Before I started um, my clinical practice in South Dakota, and I have been practicing in Minnesota almost for 10 years. Gotcha. And uh, practically I've been concentrating on minimal invasive uh, treatment of the spine and spinal pathologies. Very good. We, uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into the weeds really real quickly on that too. But uh, right now, what is Inspired Spine? Uh, I should mention, by the way, if people want to get a hold of you as far as uh, for surgery or anything else, um, the best site to, would, would be to go to is www.inspiredspine.com, correct? Correct. Okay. And we'll talk about where you're located and stuff, but what is Inspired Spine? Well, Inspired Spine uh, came to existence because the way I was trained to do spine surgery. And I'm going to use an analogy that everybody I hope would understand. Imagine you wanna take Osama bin Laden out and you nuke entire city. Gotcha. Because you sent the uh, SEAL Team 6 sure. to take one person or few people out. But for lack of other terms, the way we still do um, spine surgeries, we fillet your back because so much damage, we gotcha. nuke the whole city to get the bad culprit, the bad uh, agent out. And uh, I was inspired 
by at the actual event when about 10 years ago, somebody told me that uh, one of the surgeries that I do for the spine can be done under one hour. And that was unbelievable for me because um, I was a very good surgeon, at least I thought at that point, and I, you would need three hours for that surgery. And in that three hours, what we do, we cut, we cause bleeding. We literally cook the tissue to stop the bleeding, create lots of dead tissue. We cause a lot of damage to get where we need to go. And somebody told me um, that all of that can be done without the cooking and damaging the tissue. Gotcha. Over one hour. I think I didn't believe it at that time, but my blessing was I didn't stop there. I didn't say, I don't believe it. Leave me alone. I said, right. I don't believe it. I want to see it. So I flew to Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and I saw not only that that surgery was done under an hour, but I saw that patient walking out of surgery center, a surgery that my patient would stay days in the hospital. I saw that patient walking out of that place in literally three hours. And that was truly inspiring for me, that it opened my eyes. For lack of other term, my jaw fell on the floor and I sure. saw that my word has to change. But I noticed as well that that process is not an easy process. I saw somebody flying a space shuttle and I knew with proper training, I can do that. But I knew as well, lots of things has to change so more people can do that. So gotcha. hence Inspired Spine, the process, the accumulation of the team that uh, start the project to make this uh, new way of doing surgery on the spine without massacring the spine and making it approachable for more surgeon so more patient can um, benefit from it. So we're basically talking about a traditional surgery, a fusion, where you're fusing the spine, where you got to go in and you got to cut a lot of muscles which have trouble recovering, correct? In an yeah. a open old-fashioned surgery, we make a midline incision. We like, uh, for people who have done hunting or fishing, they know what I mean. Sure. Exactly that's what we do. We fillet the patient open. We kill all those muscles. On sure. top of that, every time you cut in a living tissue, it's going to bleed. We, what we use, we call that bipolar or bovi. These are fancy terms to say that we use electricity to literally, not figuratively, cook the tissue to stop the bleeding. Well, Imagine we don't have to do all of that now. Exactly. I'll give a personal example. I just had some cysts remove my mouth and I have numbness and I have scar tissue. So I'm. if I slur my words, you're going to know why. <laughs> so, so we mentioned your website. Um, what type of services do you provide besides the surgery are there other sur other services you provide yes you know spine surgery first of all we need to know a little stat about the spine surgery spine surgery is not a, a rare condition that people need spine is number two reason for disability in the united states only second to cardiovascular wow. disease wow about a million spine surgery are performed in the united states that was the statistic from Center for Medicare in 2015. Now there are probably even more. 
So this is a common condition. It's almost hard not to know somebody with spine condition if you are my age or your age. As a matter of fact, by the time you are 50 years old, there is only 30% chance you don't have spine problem. By the time wow. you're 70 years old, there is a 98% chance that you do have spine problem. There's only one to 2% chance you don't have spine problem. Now, um, we are in a lucky situation that we have put tremendous amount of effort in, first of all, avoiding spine problem. And that is actually where IS Life and Kayla come in. We have a, a, a tremendous amount of information we provide to our patient, how to avoid it. If they don't avoid, if they cannot avoid spine problem, we have a tremendous amount of protocols that we have put it with the multidisciplinary groups together to um, treat the patient without the surgery. As a matter of fact, I just saw um, about 25 patients and uh, only two of them I scheduled for the surgery because gotcha. the rest of them, we are going to try to help them without the surgery. From those people who need a surgery, only a fraction need fusion. Fusion is when you take the disc out and make the bone grow together. Many of those other patients, we can help without the fusion. And the way, again, I make my patient understand that, that our spine is made of interspersing bone and disc. The disc is like a tire of a car that cushion the car against the road, this cushion two bone against each other and keep the space open for the nerve. Many times you can patch a car and that is non-fusion kind of surgery. Many times though, the, if the disc is completely destroyed like a slashed open tire, you have to get rid of it. And that is where our procedure really shines, which makes a five hour surgery, a one hour surgery and put the patient on much faster recovery. Again, because we don't cause too much damage to get the job done. Sure. Unfortunately, I do know someone really well who had spinal surgery. My mother had two of them, unfortunately, and I wish she would have known about you <laughs> because she went through uh, the traditional manner. She's uh, 91 years old. So when did doing... she get the surgery, if I may ask? She had one done when she was, I think she was in her early 80s, I think. Okay. And the other one was done maybe four years before. Four years know, before, and it was like as you know the uh, as one level fails, then you mm -hmm. you put the surgery there, and then the next level fails, and that's yeah, what happened yeah. here. So um, part of that as well is you know uh, as you, uh, I understand you are a physical therapist, you know the Correct. human anatomy well. Correct. You know those muscle in the spine they are multisegmental, meaning that even if you do surgery, let's say for one level many muscles go many levels up and down. Right. And uh, I'm going to tell you the dirty secret of spine surgeon. Um, and that is that when we cut those muscles, we don't reattach them. Really? Yeah. Well, and you can imagine that if you have like shoulder surgery, if you cut the muscle and don't reattach them, you are rendering that shoulder physiologically inert and non-functional. Many times in the spine surgery, we actually cut the muscle, cut the bone that the muscle are attached to, and we just let those muscles just floating. Sure. So you can imagine that after the surgery, first of all, those muscles try to contract, 
but they're not contract attached to anything. They never stop contracting. People go to spasm. It takes months before they can be even functional. And as well, those muscles always die. They don't recover from that process. You're right, because I mean, how could they be functional after that if they don't have are. one side is not attached? Wow. But don't repeat that secret. That, that's gonna be like that's gonna, know that. That's gonna be on our Facebook, you know. I know. <laughs> so, I'm kidding. All right, let's talk, let's start talking about the procedure. So it's O L L I F. We don't want to confuse it with O L I F. Right. I don't know why you guys did that. You, they should have been well, way, way different. We doctors love acronyms. Yeah, you know? that's true. If we are, our days are so busy, we try to uh, right, make it as short and dense as possible. Yeah. But let me just give you a little story about that. I think is very educational. I have tons of videos online regarding that. And Kayla can send you pictures that you can blend in. Sure. And uh, for now, since 1950s, surgeons, spine surgeons are opening up the back, filling you open, doing surgery from the back. We call that posterior lumbar interbody fusion or PLIF. Gotcha. Since 1980s, we are doing going a little to the side so we don't have to push on the nerves. We call that process TLIF or transforaminal lumbar interbody fusion. And those standards from 70 and almost 40 years ago are by numbers are mostly performed surgeries today. Imagine you're driving a car that is 70 and 40 years old. Right. This is the right. standard of the spine surgery today. Well, we have fancier instruments and so on and so forth, but the standards is the same. Now, even then we knew that cutting those muscles is not good for the patient. So what we do, we sometimes open up the belly. By the way, every surgery on the spine you can imagine, I have done. I'm, a, I'm an expert on all kinds of spine surgeries. So it's not, I didn't choose one or another based on how sure. familiar I am with that. But for many years, we are doing opening up your belly, putting the organs to the side, and then go and take the bad disc out. Either way, we get to the disc. And obviously here we have to traverse abdominal or belly organs, like your guts, your major vessels. Sure. Sometimes that can go the wrong way. As a matter of fact, I just heard that University of Minnesota stopped doing that surgeries going from the front because of some bad results. Really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, now since 2000, actually, as well, there's another way of going to from the side to do the surgery from the side. But that surgery, you cannot do it for bottom two levels very well, as well as ribs sometimes is in your way. It's very awkward surgery, but still a good surgery once it's done. Do they still oh, go through muscles on that surgery? On this abdominal muscle, yeah, they they, they still do. What about, what about the side one? As well, you have to go through uh, abdominal you, muscle. Oh, you Obviously, do. It's much better. It's much better than going through the uh, muscles in the back. I but still, you have to go through certain muscle. But because of the limitation from going to the front, which we call ALIF, A L I F, or yeah. lateral, which we call direct or lateral lumbar interbody fusion, L-L-I-F. 
we have invented a new method of doing going still from the front end side. We call that OLIF ATP or oblique lateral lumbar interbody anterior to psoas. You still have to go through the belly. Patient is on the side and still. In many regards, it's awkward because still you have to turn the patient and do surgery from the back because we put screws still in the back from the back. So, but the surgery we do is uh, oblique lateral posterior lumbar interbody fusion where we go from obliquely, but obliquely from the back, not obliquely from the front. Practically, we don't have to enter the abdominal cavity. We don't have to touch the organ. We don't have to touch any of the vessels. And that's sort of exactly in the border between the back and front in a very gotcha. thin line. And practically, when I show anatomical picture, Kayla will provide it to you. It's uh, many uh, my colleagues ask me, how can you operate through that thin line? Well, the answer to that is instruments, technology, and experience. Gotcha. By the way, we have refined the technique to a point that any spine surgeon can learn that. And that is truly what we are proud of, that not only we do the surgery, we teach it to everybody who now, wants to learn that. Now, you're a neurosurgeon. Can an orthopedic surgeon learn this? Now, after, uh, there is two ways to become a spine surgeon. Um, neurosurgeon, we get exposure from day one of our residency on the spine, whereas orthopedic surgeon, usually they have to do a fellowship to get the exposure to spine surgery. But once we are in practice, we are equally good at that. And so gotcha. my orthopedic colleagues, after they have been in practice for a few years, they're as good as any spine surgeon in the spine surgery. And there, there are a few differences though. Um, orthopedics are more used to work on the bone. They're really good at that. Right. The surgeon are very good at doing uh, close to the nerves, and we are just used to work in smaller spaces and so on. Sure. My advantage, sense. my privilege, my um, truly my luck is that we have a multidisciplinary group of orthopedic surgeon and spine surgeon, and we have learned from each other a lot. So we have combined the advantage of both worlds in one service. Gotcha. So at one point through these, this new surgery that is less evasive, it, you go through Cambin's triangle. Did I say that correctly? Oh, yes, you did. You did. And, but um, if you remember, practically in a situation where we, when the, when the problem is the disc, we have to get to the discs. And I described to you all the different ways of getting to the disc, except the OLLIF, oblique lateral posterior lumbar in the body fusion. And uh, I'm going to try to see if I can share my screen with you. Here, PLIF going from the back is going in that direction, TLIF going in that direction, ALF, anterior lumbar in the body fusion direct lateral or LF, they have some funny names for that. This is the OLF with one L that we go anterior to psoas, which is this muscle here. Right, yeah. And our surgery is practically this. Do you see that thin line? That is the thin line we use yep. to get to the disc. 
And the reason we can do that, let me just go back here and show you. This is the Cambin triangle. When so you got... look at the side of the, 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 when you look at the side of the spine, practically this is the side view of your spine. Yeah. And this is the disc. This is the bone above and below. This is the facet or the joint in the back. And this is the nerve root. Do you see that little triangle? There? I do. I do. In 1970s, we found out that is the area that they, they, you don't have any nerves and you don't have any vessels, no arteries or veins. So it's a safe area to enter the disc. The problem is that is size of my uh, literally index fingers nail. Gotcha. Our technology was never good enough to utilize that. And guess what? Now it is. The same way that our technology wasn't good of having a whole computer in palm of my hand, and now it is? Now it is, yes. Here we are. We are just there with our technology to utilize that. And that is enable us to literally um, put a tube inside of that with two C-arms. And these two C-arms practically are my eyes. I can look inside of you like a Superman X-ray vision. <laughs> you know, everything inside of you. And this is not figurative, this is literal. Sure. And then I use this very set of smart instrument that I bypass the nerve, I do the surgery through a tube that is a little thicker than this pen. Gotcha. And because I don't have to cut the muscle, I just dilate the muscle. When they fall back, they literally um, fall back and with virtual no scarring, we can do the surgery. I want to show you a picture here. That might not be something that uh, all your viewers want to see because <laughs> it's a little gory. They can fast forward through it. Yeah. Okay. But here you see a patient of mine. In 2012, I did the open old-fashioned surgery. Sure. The white tissue, you see there is scar. It is white because this is scar. It's dead tissue, physiologically dead tissue. It has no blood supply. These are not muscles anymore. But on the right side, you see in two years later, patient, if you remember talking about your mother that you do right. a surgery on one yeah. level, then yeah. other levels go bad. And other level did go bad. In 2015, patient had an accident actually in rural Minnesota, as you know, there are yeah. lots of deer wandering around. Yeah. And the patient hit a deer, broke everything, came back to the hospital. I have to open it up all. And you see where I did my minimal invasively, this is a pristine spine. This is pristine muscle. This sure. is life muscle. And that's why this muscle can contribute to patients' um, the recovery because uh, I'm not cutting the blood supply of the bone. And that is uh, because I didn't have to cut to get to this spine. Right. right. So, so the muscles can continue to function. Exactly. Even more important than that, not only they've continued to function, um, you may or may not know that the vascularization of the bone, by the way, I'm going to go up here. This is open versus minimal invasive surgery. Oh my gosh. But it's not about what the cuts in the skin, but what happened under the skin that makes the tissue more viable, more alive. Now I'm going to show you another picture that if I explain it to you, I hope you understand that. The blood supply to the bone is through surrounding muscle. 
and 75% of the blood supply to our bones in the spine is through the muscle in the back. So if I do a traditional surgery, I'm reducing the um, blood supply to the bone to 25% of its original level. Imagine there is a, uh, there is a bridge between St. Paul and Minneapolis, and I'm closing for three of the lines from wow. four. You can this imagine that is that has impact on the material to move from one place to another. That is why spine doesn't heal because because too much damage to get in. If and if you have an elderly person who maybe has a little osteoporosis already, I imagine this is devastating. I mean. Absolutely it is. And especially they rely, when we get older, our vessels becomes more narrow. And imagine not oh, only sure. you're old and you have a narrow vessel going to the bone. On top of that, you reduce it to 25% of the original level. Wow. So this cannot be without consequence. Right. That's fascinating. That's amazing to me. I just had a lady on who's kind of an expert on osteoporosis. I, I wonder if she realizes this. Yeah. It's crazy. This picture shows the muscle in the spine. And what I tell to my patient, or actually I, I'm a little tricky and I ask them, which of these muscles do you think we in spine, in open old fashioned spine surgery, we reattach after we cut it to get in. And the, the, Answer to that is um, practically very little. So how long has this OLIF, uh, I'm sorry, OLLIF been available as a procedure? About 10 years. Uh, but the OLIF that it's now, we are practicing is not the same OLIF that was being practiced 10 years ago. And I hope you get a good picture of understanding why. Because uh, the OLIF that uh, um, I used to practice, when I learned that, it was a flip phone. Now we have the smartphone gotcha. version of it. Makes sense. Makes, makes sense. It made That's many of the processes more intuitive, more that the, that the instrument take care of lots of things that the surgeon had to consciously take care of. Gotcha. Now you mentioned before that uh, you saw this patient who had the surgery the first time that they were leaving like a day or, or so after the surgery. And you wanna compare some of the things that you find with the OLLIF and the traditional fusion surgery? Yes, yes. And uh, first of all, um, we need to talk about how these surgeries are done. The surgeries are done in the, in, the, in the fashion that we approach the disc, we take the bad disc out, and then we stabilize the spine. Gotcha. In the traditional surgery, there's lots of work need to get done to just get to the spine. As a matter of fact, average spine surgery in University of Minnesota, even Mayo, is about four to five hours for one level. Wow. Because we don't have to do cutting and so on, our surgery for one level, the surgery that Mayo Clinic needs four to five hours, we do it under one hour. Wow, amazing. Obviously, when you do that much surgery, you cut that, there's lots of blood loss. Sure. Blood loss in open surgery, uh, even in the University of Minnesota or Mayo or average in the United States, is about somewhere between 500 to 1,000 cc 
our average blood loss for a vulnerable fusion is one tenth to one twentieth of that, about wow. 5,200 cc. And obviously, we talked about in open surgery, you cut the tissue, you cook the tissue. Well, it's literally dead meat waiting there to get infected. Wow. So average risk of the infection in open surgery is 3 to 8%. Our average risk of infection is 0.17%. Wow. Meaning that 120th, even in the lowest paper reported, we cut it by 5% of that, meaning 120th of the open surgery, if you consider the lowest level reported for spine fusion. And the reason for that is we don't produce that tissue. And it's important that even those two patients who got infected in our 1,400 group, none of them needed to be taken back to surgery. Sure. And because we don't create lots of dead tissue, dead cavity that the infection can spread. So those patients just healed with five days of antibiotic, oral antibiotics. So for all practical purpose, not a zero, not a single take back to surgery. And if I show you some of those pictures of infection, and I'm going to ask Kayla to send you some, you see what a mess it is. Right, right. Infections are... are Big deal. Obviously, yeah, life-threatening. My mother-in-law, Kayla's grandma, actually got an infection and uh, she almost died from it. I was very close. In a coma for many years, or many months, I'm sorry, weeks. So... Now, on top of that, obviously, after open surgery, because of the amount of recovery patient needs, average time of stay is four to five days. As a matter of fact, this is public knowledge, public information. You can go to CMS webpage and see which hospitals um, have to uh, keep the patient how long. Sure. The average stay of the patient in the hospital, all hospitals in Minnesota is uh, 3.2 days. In University of Minnesota and in Mayo, it's about four days. Our average hospital stays 1.6 days. Wow. So, um, and again, hospital, more chances to pick up an infection when you're in the hospital, including COVID. Right, right, exactly. As well, and as well, you know, we have to shut down the hospitals because we don't have enough staff or beds to take care of this patient. Now, imagine spine surgeon, so spine surgeries need to keep the patient one day, rather four days. Right. That opens up the beds for the people who need it for other problems as well, not only for spine problems. How about uh, scar length? That's important to some people. Um, yeah, the scar length is very important and Kayla will send you some pictures because there are multiple small incisions, they heal so well and you practically sometimes have a hard time to see that. As a matter of fact, this has really happened that uh, um, two of my patients went to a different hospital after my surgery, many months later after an accident, and they got x-rays and they showed it to the neurosurgeon in that local hospital. And the neurosurgeon told the, the ER doctor, are you sure this is the same patient? Because they looked at the patient's back, they look at the films, they couldn't uh-huh. wrap their head around how that instrument got in. But I think more important than how big the incision in the scar and this in the skin is, is what happened under the skin right. that make the surgery what it is. Exactly. So um, it sounds like, and this is a, a problem very common with 
typical surgery or traditional surgery is nerve root irritation because you're going by that nerve root and it sounds like the more times you go in the possibly the more irritated the nerve could get mm -hmm. so what is Let the me, i get i get the understand the question that what is the risks associated with <coughs> oil lif regarding the nerves because you have right. to bypass the nerve yeah this is your spine this is spinal cord, and this is nerve root. Mm -hmm. In the open surgery, we come from this direction. We push on the spinal cord and the nerve root to get in. Gotcha. As a matter of fact, there are reports and papers that about 8% of the time when you do that, you nick the spinal cord and the membrane around that. We call oh, that wow. risk of durotomy, 8%. And you have to push both. In our surgery, we go at this angle. We don't put spinal cord at the danger. So our risk of durotomy is zero, but we still have to put the nerve root to the side to get in. Sure. We tell our patient that risk is um, about 15%, but in truth, it's much lower. But practically, we push the nerve root to the side to get in. And 85% of my patients, and we have 1,000 testimonials, patients wake up and they say, my leg pain is gone. What did you do? But 15% of the time, the nerve can get irritated. Vast majority of that is a new numbness. Like patients still go home next day, but they tell me that numbness on top of my left foot is worse, or I didn't have it before. It's okay, not bad, but what's going on? And the answer to that, we talked to them before, is that I have to push that nerve root away to get in. We did a systematic review of that. That risk as well is as high or higher with open old-fashioned surgery. But after open old-fashioned surgery, patients are so miserable, numbness on top of their left foot is the least of the problem. But if right. you ask, they tell you that. Right. But our patients are ready to go home. That's the only problem they notice. Sure. But we consent them for that. and uh, But obviously, like any other surgery, there are some risks involved with any surgery. Um, we haven't figured out uh, a procedure that is magic. But right. all of it is as close to magic as it comes. Gotcha. So, I mean, do you typically give a, a steroid for that? or um... If the nerve irritation happens, we have a full protocol for that. Gotcha. That starts with some medication that uh, cool the nerve down. Some uh, the actually physical therapy can be very helpful with posture and things that doesn't aggravate the pressure sure. on that nerve. But then we do a steroid injection, uh, meaning that we go to that nerve root, we deposit some steroid there. Sometimes as well, we give oral steroid, but the problem with oral steroid is that 95% of that goes everywhere else in your body. Sure, sure. 5% of that goes to the place you want them to go. Yeah. But yeah. we have a full protocol for that, that uh, we manage this uh, because you have a lot of experience with this procedure. We have been able to put a good protocol to manage everything that goes with this procedure. Gotcha. Well, that brings me to my next question, actually. Our recommendation always for any of our subscribers and people that follow us is like, if you're going to have a surgery, make sure the surgeon has done it at least 50 times. So 
Dr. Vasi, how many times have you done this surgery? I have done this surgery 1,400 times, <laughs> more than anybody else who has reported. Wow, but, but, that's, uh, that's crazy. But I'm, uh, that is just a minor thing I'm proud of. What I'm truly proud of is that I, uh, the combination actually with my team, with Kayla is part of that team. When you have done it so often, you know everything that goes with it. Right. You know everything that can go wrong with it. Sure. So we have put a curriculum together that everybody who join us, they get as good as I am in one third to one fourth of the number of the cases they need to do. Right. No different than when you are driving uh, with your son. Uh, I'm sure your heart rate goes up. Right. Because, you know <laughs> all the mistakes he can do. Yeah. But you give them. You give them advice. They keep. You prevent them of having those bad results by pairing a good uh, driver and a, initial, and, uh, and a novice driver together. We call that process soft transition, where we pair experienced surgeon and surgeon who want to learn that to reduce that. And for the first time in the United States, I'm the person who, and my colleagues, we get our privilege in the hospital of other surgeons who wants to do that. I just came back from El Paso. We go there, we make sure they, gave the, they give the patient the post learning curve result from day one. I just was in El Paso. We did two cases, both of them went home. And all I'm doing there, making sure that the surgery goes uh, as safe as it can. Um, the very, very gotcha. few Ex uh, examples of that, that the surgeon stopped what he's doing and uh, goes to somewhere else and, uh, and make sure that this other surgeon uh, does it the right way for the patient. And we have wrapped this process around what we call the Avicenna Technical University to truly teach it to whoever wants to learn it. Our take on that is this is beyond a surgeon doing something. This can change the entire care for the spine. Literally, patients who gather their pills to end their life because they're in such a pain, and yes. other surgeons have told them, you cannot have that surgery because it's too invasive for you. We do a, an hour surgery, we send them home next day and we give them their life back. It would be unethical for us to keep the knowledge and sit on the process. So. We are truly giving this process away to whoever wants to learn it. Uh, you know, that fits right along with our philosophy that we're trying to help as many people as we can. And you obviously are expanding that by helping other surgeons help as many people as they can. So it just, it grows larger and larger. So again, that's ATU, that's your nonprofit university. Correct. Uh, correct? I've seen right. a technical university for people who don't know that, there are few people who really changed the course of human history. And Avicenna, or, uh, uh, which is the Latinized name for Persian polymath physician, Ibn Sina, uh, practiced about 1,000 years ago, and he created significant medical and scientific methods about uh, 600 years before Europe. And uh, he invented many medical methods and that is we are in honor of him. We are calling the University Avicenna Technical University. Oh, I love that. That's, that's fantastic. I love that. 
Now you have a video out called a brief natural history of the spine. Yes. Uh, and we'll put a link below. I, I, I found that very interesting. Um, talking about the whole process and controlling expectations. Uh, I'm, do you want to talk about it at all? Absolutely. I think, you know, it is, I, as a surgeon, I'm, I am the last link to change somebody's life who is falling off the cliff. Right. And many times uh, people can avoid falling off the cliff altogether. As a matter of fact, that is what Kayla does for us. They put a healthy lifestyle protocols, the, the nutrition, exercises together to change a natural trend of us, all of us to get old or slow down the aging process of the spine. When I ask people, when is the maximum capacity of the spine? When is the maximum vitality of the spine? Most of my patients tell me when you're into your 20s because they see most of the athletes in their 20s. Right. But if you really want to know when is the maximum capacity of the spine, look at the Olympic gymnast. Right. Sorry, between 12 quite and young. years old. Yeah, quite young. Yes, yes. You need more motor skills. That's why like football players and so on, they're in their 20s. But after that, we all age. As my father used to tell me when I was a young and uh, uh, pretty unknowledgeable person, and I would tell him he's old, he would tell me, <laughs> you get my age if you're lucky. Yeah, right, good point. Because if you're not lucky, you will die young. Our spine will age with us. That's why it's important to have a healthy lifestyle because you can age fast or slow, but you will age. And uh, Kayla and the IS Life have put a good protocols together just by getting exposed to us and knowing simple facts, we can uh, kind of move your aging process, slow it down sure. and move your curvature of your spine to a more favorable area. Now, sometimes you have a bad luck, you have an accident, you have right. a spondylolisthesis, you have a pathology, then you fall off the cliff. Right. That is where I come in and I reverse that process and make you bring you back to your to your age group. Yeah, people who have back problems uh, understand this well. I mean, you can't do anything. It's the foundation yeah. of your body. So yeah. I mean, yeah, um, now I have myself back pain, so I know how it is when you cannot move an inch. Sure, everything exactly. is excruciating. Maybe that's partially give me more empathy for my patients. That's true. I always think that too. That yeah. If nothing else, we get a little more empathy. Um, so what type of patient is a good candidate for OLLIF? No, first of all, any patient with a back problem is a good candidate for inspired spine because gotcha. inspired spine, we do 5% to 8% surgery. We do over 90% other treatment to gotcha. our patient. But the patient that uh, have been told he needs a spinal fusion, or he cannot be helped. These are our specialty. These are people, elderly people with uh, um, additional uh, comorbidities, the other problems that other surgeons have told them, we cannot, they cannot help them. That is where we truly shine. And there's not a weak uh, 
where somebody from other states doesn't come to us, like a, we had a patient with, uh, who is a Jehovah's Witness who has been told by his fourth surgeon, you will bleed and die on the table because the surgery you need is so bloody, so long, you will not survive that. We did that surgery and our blood loss was half a cup of coffee. Oh, and we sent the patient wow. home two days later. Or we had a patient who had been told by a panel of seven surgeons in Cleveland Clinic that you are 500 pounds, your BMI is 62.5, you will die of surgery, you will die on the table. Right. We did that surgery in two hours and four minutes. Wow. We had a 110 cc of blood loss and we sent that patient out of hospital two days later. My God. This is our specialty. And this is no magic except you understand that we don't do the old surgery, we do a different kind of surgery. Like I'm in Alexandria and you are in close to Rochester. Right. If I tell you I can come to you in one hour, you will tell me, and if you don't know flying, if you have no concept that you understand, you don't understand concept of flying, and I tell you I will be there in one hour, you say either I'm lying or I'm a reckless driver. Right. But if you know the concept of flying, you know anybody can get in an airplane here right. and be in your place in one hour. Proper technology. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you also mentioned uh, that you're a 93-year-old nun. Yes. I want to ask about that. You said your mother is 90-year-old, right? 91, yes. 91. You're a lucky man to have her. Yes. But when people get old, their spine gets old, and when bone grinds the bone because the disc is gone, we know how excruciating, uh, painful that can be. That doesn't change your life as a patient, but that changes the life of your entire environment. Your family, they quit what they are doing to just make your life possible. Right. And this nun, um, we did years of conservative therapy, but finally she came to a point that she needed three people to just help her to get by. We did that surgery. That surgery was in one and a half hour. We sent her out of the hospital in three days. And she came back a year later. And we have a testimonial of that nun who was telling us the only thing she needs help now is to turning a mattress from one side to another. Oh, I need God. help with that. Oh, yeah. And don't crazy. ask me why she would need to turn the mattress from one side to another. Right. But, but she doesn't need three people to just make her life tolerable she can she's independent and that right. is the goal our goal is to make people comfortable and independent and i i don't know where i read it it was among your materials but you know they talk about when the spine becomes so bad you fall off the cliff and you can no longer ambulate that you know unfortunately the, the lifespan of people who can't ambulate is greatly shortened correct and, you know, what is the most important recommendation for people with heart to keep the heart young? Keep walking. Walking and small, frequent exercises. Yes. If you quit ambulating, doesn't matter for whatever reason. Your prognosis is worse than if you are, if you are elderly. Elderly defined these days, 75 and above. If you are elderly and you quit walking for no matter what reason, 
your diagnosis is well, can be whatever it wants to be. Your prognosis, meaning your uh, your expectation, your outcome. Your yeah. outcome is worse than if you get diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, is that if you quit walking, your heart, lung, your entire system shuts down, and you cannot take stress anymore if your heart is uh, not constantly exposed to certain level of activity. Uh, stress, yeah, exactly. So I, I imagine a lot of, like I, I saw I also mentioned farmers and truck drivers, uh, you know, they can get back to work a lot sooner than yeah. a, if they could even get back to work on an old traditional surgery. So, yeah. Now, we have the tremendous amount of data on that. We don't need guessing in that regard. We know that after open surgery, it takes a vast majority of the patient more than two days before they can freely ambulate. And that's why they are in the hospital three to five days. Our patient, vast majority, 96% of them ambulate within the first 24 hours. And wow. that makes sense. They can walk, they can go home. And that propagate as well in the recovery and return to work. Whereas after open surgery, recovery can be six to a year project. Our patients return to work mostly within a month or two. So we cut the return to work to one third to one fourth of the, what open surgery can do. And that is based on significant amount of data. I wanna understand uh, with the patient that what their problems are and what they are doing, sometimes they have to reduce their activities. Like I don't anybody to start uh, climbing trees after a surgery, after right. any kind of surgeries. Right. But uh, yeah, our surgery has shown to be the fastest way to put the patient on the recovery back, to get back on the golf course, to get back to their life, family life, sexual activity, and all those things that can be demanding to the spine. So um, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but it sounds like you will take patients from anywhere, correct? I mean, you can take them from other states and you can you take, take them, them from, from other countries. Other countries, sure. Insurance tends to pay for this or not? Well, insurances have never given us a problem. And as a matter of fact, you know, when we went, this is a true story. We showed our result to Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota, the vice president of the physician relationship, after he looked at our data, these are people who understand data. Right, exactly. He stopped the spine surgery on his mother-in-law, which was scheduled for the <laughs> next week after that. They stopped that and they sent her to us for us to do this surgery. I completely understand that. Like I said, yeah. I have some regrets myself here. <laughs> um, so can a patient, a, a possible patient that needs surgery, can they talk to former patients who have had the surgery? Is that allowed or do you have- Absolutely. We call this patient ambassadorship, meaning that gotcha. many of our patients are so impressed with us that they ask us how they can help because these are patients that are told there's no choice, there's no hope, there is no procedure for them. Once they get back to their lives and are, I have, we have thousand testimonials online. You know, every surgeon can put two good results out there, but uh, we have thousands of testimonials at different stage. And many of these patients, 
not only they send their family back to us, but as well, they want to tell other patients that sure. there is a hope there. So we call that patient ambassadorship. As a matter of fact, Kayla is the person who connect those people who want to talk to somebody. But as well, we have tons of testimonials online. You know, um, Kayla, by the way, you might want to send us a video a testimonial and we'll play that on Facebook. So, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Um, uh, we, you had mentioned too that you wanted to talk about the sacroiliac joint and yeah. the procedures that you have for women quite often. Yeah. Now, sacroiliac joint is where the spine and the pelvis are joining. We call it a joint, but in truth, it's not a joint. It right. shouldn't really move. And the only time in a human life it moves is when a woman is giving birth. It opens up the pelvis for the baby to pass through. For 70 years, we have neglected the sacroiliac joint. Many times, as a matter of fact, one-fourth of the time, from four people who come for the back pain to spine surgeon, one of them is not the spine the problem, it's the sacroiliac joint the problem. And the spine surgeon does the right thing, look at the spine and say, you have no problem, go away. Because if he's not trained to as well treat the sacroiliac joint, he won't look in the right places. And we have found that tremendous number of the people, especially younger women who have back problem and they go to a spine surgeon and they're sent back and they're miserable for years. They come to us, we figure out it's not the spine, it's the sacroiliac joint. And we do a half an hour surgery and they truly regain their lives. This has been in my lifetime, one of the most miraculous thing for people who have undiagnosed, untreatable, un uh, uh, satisfied spine situation, we just have to look more carefully and find out the problem is not the spine. The problem is sacroiliac joint. That is important enough that I'm willing and I'm happy actually to come back on your, um, yeah, on your show. That. Talk think, just about the sacroiliac joint. Yeah, because, I think that'd be well worthwhile. And because yeah. uh, um, I'd like to know how it presents itself and, and all that. I mean, all Absolutely. the details on it. So we are running out of time here. So I want to be respectful of your time. So Dr. Abbasi, thank you so much. I'd love to have you on again or anybody um, within your organization, if there's anything they want to talk about, we could, we could do that, so. Uh, Absolutely my pleasure. I have made my life about teaching and public education. I could see and that. I'm, I'm happy to be uh, back anytime. And I thank you for the opportunity to well, uh, bring the message to the broader public. The thanks go, all goes our way to you. Yeah, thank